Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Western New York race fans, it's time to crank it up. Start your For the next hour, the airwaves belong to you. Sit down, strap in, and let's head to WGR's Fast Track. All right, take a nice big deep breath, buddy. With your host. Let's go out there and have a good day, all right, bud. Dave Buchanan. But only by about a car length and a half. Here comes Martin Truex Jr. off of turn number five. Looks to drivers right now. He hit Truex is off the pace on the straightaway into turn six. It is Chase Elliott all by himself at the front of the field in turn seven for the final time. All this time we've been wondering when would it happen. It's going to happen today at Watkins Glen in his 99th start. Chase Elliott is going to victory lane, scoring win 250 for Hendrick Motorsports. Chase Elliott wins the Go Bowling at the Glen. Good morning, race fans. 11.05 here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome to another edition of WGR's Fast Track. I'm Dave Buchanan. Thanks for listening, as always. And that's how you heard it right here on WGR last Sunday as Chase Elliott in his 99th career NASCAR Cup Series start broke through for his first career series win, winning the Go Bowling at the Glen last Sunday at Watkins Glen International. We were there. What a scene it was in Victory Lane with Chase, his dad Bill, Hendrick Motorsports celebrating their 250th win as an organization in the Cup Series. And yes, finally, and to the roar of the the majority of the crowd at the Glen on Sunday, a huge win uh, for the sport in general as someone... Chase Elliott, a you know second generation to driver, his dad, one of the most popular drivers in the history of the sport, taking over as part of a shift change at Hendrick Motorsports that saw two of the most other popular drivers in the sports leave, and Chase Elliott having to fill those shoes of those two drivers and Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Chase finally, after coming close so many times, eight second place finishes in his Cup career before that, before last Sunday, finally breaking through, and it was a. Great afternoon at Watkins Glen last Sunday. Had a great time out there. Uh, that's we're going to start here this morning. As phone lines are open, we're wide open this segment, by the way. No guest in our opening segment. So if you want to get in on Chase Elliott uh, 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 getting the win at the Glen, did you go to the Glen last Sunday? Thoughts on your trip to the Glen? Uh, of course, Brian France. We're going to get to that. And uh, today's race at Michigan. Uh, all there on the table here for you this morning at 803 0551 888 If you. Uh, have anything that you would like to talk about here this morning about the world of motorsports, especially NASCAR, of course. That's kind of what we focus on here, especially during this opening segment. We're also up on Twitter at Fast Track 550. You can send us your tweets and your follows there. And we're on Facebook, too, uh, facebook.com slash WGR Fast Track. This first segment wide open here, uh, talking about all things NASCAR. There's lots to cover, lots of news here in just the last week alone. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series just wrapped up a three-race West Coast trip, and uh, now they have a week off before they get to their final two races of their regular season. And top field driver Scott Palmer is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Scott currently in the final playoff position uh, for the NHRA uh, top field uh, division, 
and uh, Scott is going to join us uh, fresh off uh, the three-race West Coast trip. So looking forward to talking to Scott about some straight-line racing coming up here at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, we'll close out the program with our usual local racing roundup. But, again, phone lines wide open here at 803-0551, There's just lots of racing in general going on. I mean, going back to... Uh, going into back to last Thursday, well, locally with uh, racing in Lancaster, we had Thursday at Lancaster. Uh, Friday got uh, Ransville got rained out that Friday before, but then Saturday was up at Chemung with the Race of Champions, and then Sunday we were at the Glen, and then Monday you had Merrittville, and Tuesday you had Ransomville with the Super Dirt Car Series, and then Wednesday and Thursday I'm sure you could have found something to do, and then this weekend another busy weekend with all the local tracks open for business, and we've got the Cup Series in Michigan this weekend for today's race, which we'll hear right here on WGR. I believe we'll have live coverage of today's race following uh, Nate and Sale at Bill's Camp today at 2 o'clock, just like we did last week for Watkins Glen, as it is the Consumers Energy 400 at the Michigan International Speedway coming up today. Uh, here on WGR. But going back to Watkins Glen, and, and again, just uh, what a run for Chase Elliott. And you knew Chase was going to be a factor of some kind very early on. The first, the, let's, let's, well, let's just go back, recap the whole race. We'll go back to the start of the race, the first three laps. How about there was more action in the first three laps of that race than you get in some mile and a half tracks, it seems like, in the Cup Series season. Uh, you, you had a great battle with Kyle Busch. Uh, all over his teammate Denny Hamlin for the lead. And then on top of that, you had Joey Logano go off in the inner loop through the sand trap. He goes to uh, Pitt Road, and his crew chief, Todd Gordon, tells him to go to the garage, not knowing that NASCAR had put them on the damage clock. Uh, of course, when a car is damaged, you have five, six, I think it's six minutes this year now. You have six minutes to repair the car on Pitt Road, or you have to drop out of the race, and you cannot go back to the garage to fix damage. You can only go to the garage to fix mechanical issues. If you go to the garage with a damaged race car, then you're out of the race. Well, Todd Gordon forgot about that part of the rule and maybe wasn't aware that his car was on the damage clock, and once he told Joey to take that car back to the garage, the 22 was done for the day. So Joey Logano, who uh, I told Jeff Striegel from MRN on the show last Sunday, I thought he'd be uh, one to potentially win it, and uh, especially after winning the Xfinity Series race the day before, uh, was out of the race on lap three. And then you had Eric Almirola and Ryan Blaney get together off at of turn seven, and uh, Almirola backed it into the wall and, and crumpled up the back end of the Go Bowling dot uh, com, uh, the Go Bowling car that he was driving. So I guess we had the double fast track jinx there with picking Joey Logano as a potential favorite and having Eric on the show last week. Uh, double fast track jinx. So all that was just in the first three laps of the race. So it was, uh, you know, just a wild start to the race action pack, and, and you come to expect that out of road course racing. But into the second stage, it was Chase Elliott's turn to get aggressive because Kyle had taken the lead from Denny, and it, right through Ch- uh, the start of stage two, Chase was all over Kyle Busch, much like Busch had kind of hounded Hamlin at the start of the race, and it didn't ch- take Chase long to eventually get by Kyle Busch, and everybody's like, "Whoa, look." You know, look out, Chase is, uh, he's on his game today. And, uh, you know, no one thought, no one, everybody expected Kyle Bush to kind of dominate things on Sunday. And instead, uh, you know, it was, it was Chase, you know, dominating all of stage two. And he led right through uh, stage two, right to the end of the stage. And then uh, they had the end of the stage and then pit stops. And then uh, Kyle Bush got the lead on the restart after, um, 
at, to the for the restart to begin stage three. Chase got a little out of shape on the restart, and uh, which would kind of foreshadow the last lap of the race a little bit as well too. How he kind of went wide off and won, and that gave Kyle the lead back. And then Kyle led until that uh, late caution for De Bened- Matt De Benedetto when his car blew up in the inter- uh, interloop. Uh, you know, they had that last critical pit stop and a huge snafu on the 18 team when uh, something on the refueling mechanism on, I, I believe it was th- the gas can and, and not the car that had the, the malfunction of the part, but they did not get enough gas in the 18 car and uh, to, to make it to the distance. So Kyle got off of pit road first, but they didn't have enough gas in the car. So they did bring him down, back down pit road. That gave Chase Elliott the lead back. And uh, set up for that uh, exciting stretch run to the finish where you had Elliott being chased by Martin Truex. And you had um, Kyle trying to come back through the field because he restarted the race in 31st. And so that was the other thing we were watching was Bush just rocketing his way through the field. You know, it took him like just a couple of laps to get back inside the top 20 and then inside the top 15. And then once he got towards the top 10, the momentum started to wane a little bit. But Kyle eventually got up to third by the end of the race, and maybe a late caution would have put him in contention to give Chase Elliott a a run for the money there at the end of the race. They did not get you know one more caution, and uh, kind of so Kyle to settle for third. So it came down to Elliott and Truex, and Truex was running Elliott hard, hoping to run him out of gas. And it came down to that last lap that you had you heard off the the top here at the at the top of the show, and it wound up being Truex running out of gas before the finish. Elliott had just enough to cross the finish line first, but he, of course, you know, ran out of gas on his victory lap, couldn't even do a burnout. Uh, the the famous, now infamous, famous scene of Jimmy Johnson giving Chase a push and then the crew having to push the car into victory lane, which I just happened to be walking behind as they pushed the car into victory lane, uh, just snuck in behind them uh, to get into victory lane for, for the uh, post-race photos. Um, but just uh, an amazing scene and definitely you know the the crowd any when Elliot took the lead in stage two and then at the end of the race uh, especially got to hear it at the end of the race because I was on pit road uh at the end of the race uh uh for uh, some post-race interviews um the crowd definitely going nuts and so Chase was a a is obviously a very popular driver as if you didn't know that already but just uh, to hear the crowd like that uh, at a NASCAR event cheer for one driver it's pretty amazing Again, 803-0551-888-550-2550. You can hear some of the post-race comments uh, in our uh, on-demand audio section, whether on the website or through the uh, the radio.com app. Got some post-race sound from Kyle Busch and Jamie McMurray. Uh, did a one-on-one with William Byron standing in victory lane. They had kind of corralled the Hendrick drivers uh, for that big uh, post-race photo op for the 250th win for Hendrick Motorsports. So William Byron just happened to be standing around, and we were waiting for uh, Chase to finish up some of his TV interviews. So we, I kind of took the opportunity to say, hey, can we talk, chat for a couple of minutes? So uh, you can hear from William Byron, a nice little one-on-one I did with him after the race as well, too. And again, those are in the uh, the on-demand audio section. But uh, just a, a, a great day at the Glen, and uh, great to see Chase finally get his first win. Uh, obviously locks him into contention for the postseason. Not that he was, not there was a overall huge concern of him potentially not making the uh, playoffs this year. But now he can run these last four races of the season without that having to worry. And the course starts today at Michigan, and then they're off to Bristol, and then you've got. Uh, we still have Darlington and Indianapolis, of course, to uh, round out the regular season. 
uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series. So that was you know a great day, and uh, you know f- again one of these young gun dr- uh, drivers you know finally getting some wins after all the talk at the beginning of the season about those guys, and then them not performing as much. Uh, at least in the win column until, you know, Eric Jones winning at Daytona and now Chase, finally some of these uh, young drivers that were talked about at the beginning of the year, finally getting some few wins here. But uh, definitely, again, goes a long way for Elliott as uh, he enters today 11th in points, but again, he's got the win, so he's in the postseason and uh, really can now just concentrate on running well and maybe adding another win before um, they go uh, before they get to the start of the playoffs. And Chase could be a threat today. Didn't qualify so well. Starts 21st today at Michigan, but he's had some success there, much like his dad did in his career. And, uh, you know, Elliott will have a shot to maybe win, uh, add another win to his to- uh, total before uh, the end of the regular season. Of course, that was Sunday. And then Monday, of course, the NASCAR, all that good feelings and good Press, you know, great story. Chase Elliott, you you know, you know that's you know big news. You know, they had the big rally for him when he got back home as they got off the plane, and you had the pool hall blowing the siren, all, and that was all over social media. All that great news and everything surrounding Chase's win, and all that went right down the toilet on Monday when we got word that Brian France was arrested in the Hamptons for DUI and and possessing uh, oxy. Oxy pills and just are you kidding me? Just you know we we can't have anything. This is why we can't have nice things NASCAR because we take our our great stories and feel good moments and you know flush that news cycle down the toilet because the uh, the CEO and the 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 director of the sport gets arrested uh, nowhere near the racetrack either, of course, which is another big thing. But Brian France, uh, obviously a much uh, polarizing figure in the sport. Uh, gets a lot of the blame from especially fans and some media, but definitely the fans gets a lot of the blame for the sports downturn in the last 10, maybe 15 years, if you want to go back that far. You know, stuff like for those that hate the chase in the playoffs and those that hate stage racing and the eyesore that was the car of tomorrow, all that gets lumped on Brian's head. And some of it's deserved, not all of it maybe, but he is uh, whipping boy number one, especially when it comes to the fans on social media. But he's also done some good things for the sport, especially the TV deals with Fox and NBC and uh, all the money that that's generated and, and maybe keeping the sport alive to some extent. May, I, they wouldn't be belly up right now without those TV deals, but that's certainly... Um, Helps them out big time um, with uh, bringing some extra revenue in is is those TV deals with Fox and NBC. So there's been some good and some bad with Brian. But Brian has obviously been, uh, Brian France has, you know, has not been the the leader maybe the sport needed after his dad, Bill Jr. And, uh, you know, of course, Big Bill uh, as well. Um, You know, he's been a much different leader of the sport while his, you know, his Dad and grandfather were kind of the the big cheese. The the number, you know, everything went through them, and what they said goes. It has become a much different sport in Brian Francis era, where it's no longer just one man on top saying this is how we're going to do things. It's now Brian delegating things to people like Mike Helton and Steve O'Donnell, who do a great job, by the way. Both of, of you know the president and uh, the. Uh, the chief uh, racing development officer, Steve O'Donnell, they do a phenomenal job in their roles at the sport. Uh, but people like them and Brent Dewar that are, are now in charge and, you know, there's been some other people that have been recently let go. But, you know, Brian kind of delegates a lot of that stuff, especially the at track stuff, to people like them. 
and Brian's faced criticism like that from even the stars of the sport. People like Tony Stewart and Brad Keselowski have said, why isn't Brian France at more races? He's not. He barely goes to about a third of the events in the 2018 season. Or excuse me, just in general, he go, he gets about about a third of the races in the year, and you do, you know he doesn't do doesn't do a lot of you know public interviews. He does call into their their satellite radio channel from time to time, um, but he he is a little aloof. And then you have weird moments like at the banquet last year when he was supposed to present the championship ring to Martin Truex, and he kind of just handed it to him awkwardly, and then walked off stage instead of maybe stopping to shake his hand or pose for a photo op. He just kind of, without even almost looking at him, just kind of said, "Here you go," and just took off. You know, there's been weird moments like that. So, and he's had a, a history too. Uh, he had an an incident, uh, you know, an alleged incident previously that they didn't get charged for because they couldn't. Uh, the the way the uh, alleged drunk driving incident played out, they couldn't really arrest him because he had gotten himself back home. But he has he has had an incident in the past, and uh, this time though he got caught and uh, twice the legal limit with the uh, the BAC and then the pills, of course, which make it that much worse. Um, you know that obviously tends you to believe that he might have a problem of some kind and may need to seek some help uh, before he can come back to the sport because uh, shortly after the arrest and, and it got out, he did step down from his position. And now his uncle, Jim France, is now kind of in charge of the sport. Uh, Bill Jr.'s brother, uh, Jim France, is uh, an integral part there uh, at the at, in Daytona with NASCAR and the International Speedway Corporation. He kind of heads up the the uh, IMSA road racing and the uh, the AMA motorcycle racing, which they also own, that's kind of his his baby. You saw him as kind of the public face of NASCAR when the uh, ARCA deal was announced, when they bought ARCA. Uh, it was Jim France speaking on behalf of NASCAR. Uh, that announcement, that was interesting at the time. But uh, Jim, at uh, 73 years old, kind of takes over the sport. And for how long, we'll see. Is he in that role? It's uh, interim for now, but how long will, will he be in that role? How long will it take them to find a possible replacement? Will they find a replacement? How you know we don't know how long this is going to go out, and it can go really either two ways. And uh, the one way means there there isn't a whole lot of change to the sport, and the other way is there could be a lot of change um, because really you're not going to see much change in the day-to-day operations because especially at the track, you know, the races themselves, there's not going to be much change because, again, Brian France didn't do so much with the on-track stuff. That was Mike Helton and Steve O'Donnell. They kind of run that department. So that's not going to change. The only way you're going to see some major changes if one of two things happen. Either this forces... Um, Jim France and Lisa France Kennedy, uh, who's Brian's sister, um, if this kind of speeds up their reported dealings of, of selling some of their ownership stock in NASCAR, which has been reported throughout the year, but uh, it hasn't gone more than reports and alleged rumors, but that they're they're pursuing this potentially. If they sell a majority of their stock in the sport, then you're going to see some major changes, obviously. The other way we see major changes to the sport is if they go to hire a replacement for Brian France, uh, you know, if Jim just wants to be interim in this role and they go to hire somebody else, is if they think if they bring in some kind of outsider, which I think is possibly an option to, to, to go in this route. I mean, a lot of traditionalists and those old school fans that hate things like the chase and stage racing and all that in the playoffs, you know, they're not going to like it. But, you know, much in the way maybe like the NHL hired Gary Bettman back in the day. Gary did not have an NHL background. He worked with the NBA. You know, bring in somebody from a major uh, 
someone from the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or you know someone who's had a high-profile role in another major American sport, maybe bring them in to put a fresh set of eyes in, in the leadership role of the company. That is one way to go, and I think it, it would be a smart way to go as much as it may cause more changes and then you kind of hurt that traditional fan base has already been uh, you know, has it, kind of taken their licks over the last decade or so. And then the other option, which might be the safe route, and may also be a smart, uh, the smart route to go. It's hard to say at this point, but just either let Jim France remain in the position for as long as he wants, take the interim tag off, and just let him be in charge, or bring in someone else. Whether you promote someone within NASCAR, you promote Mike Helton, or you promote Steve O'Donnell, or Brent Dewar, or somebody currently within the organization. Or just someone currently, you know, working in the sport. Maybe they're with another organization right now. Promote someone like that from within, and just kind of stay close to your roots. And instead of worrying about the uh, trying to reach new audiences or expand new audiences, just concentrate on keeping your core audience, uh, keep them watching, and rebuild that relationship. And again, that could be the other smart route. I, I don't think on on paper there there's. You could go either way, and I, I could see the pros of both decisions, and maybe that uh, staying close to your roots decision might be the safer choice of the two right now, but I still don't think it wouldn't hurt to bring in a fresh set of eyes, someone from outside of the sport, to take over the leadership role uh, of NASCAR and help it you know, rebuild its fan base, rebuild the television audience, rebuild its marketing partners, all, all three of which have taken a hit here recently. And uh, try and uh, you know get this this downward trend and, and start get it trending back upwards here in the very near future because um, it's been you know they've it's been when you look at the declines in the numbers and the sponsors that are left you know you needed something here to to turn the corner and that may be what it needs but again I, I can see the possibility of just you know let's just keep on keeping on and let's just worry about uh, you know our, our core fan base and work on rebuilding that i think they're both viable options it d- depends how much of a risk you want to take i guess at this point so we'll see how all that plays out obviously you know brian has stepped away brian francis stepped away from the role but he may be may come back but it might be difficult especially if he doesn't go through some kind of treatment to uh, deal with whatever possible uh demons he might be dealing with at this point in his life so all that, unfortunately, took away from a great Sunday and a great race last weekend at Watkins Glen that saw Chase Elliott win. So wanted to kind of touch upon both of those storylines as uh, we look ahead to today's race at Michigan, too. And uh, we'll do that when we come back. And we're also going to talk to NHRA top field driver Scott Palmer. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes here on Fast Track on WGR. This is Kyle Busch driving the number 18 M&M's Toyota. You're listening to WGR Sports Radio 550. That was uh, fun last Sunday, to, to say the least, getting to be right in the middle of the throng of a Kyle Busch post-race media scrum after he uh, had a, lost a race because of a malfunction on pit road. And he was typical surly Kyle Busch, but, you know, didn't yell or scream or nothing. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when Kyle loses, he's, you know, 
pretty unhappy, and he was uh, none too pleased about how the way things turned out last Sunday at Watkins Glen. Despite the third-place finish, he, uh, to quote him, drove his ass off, and he certainly did, coming from 31st to 3rd uh, in that final run. And again, a late caution could have made him a factor to race Chase Elliott for the win, but still an impressive run for Kyle to come through the field like that. But uh, you can hear the sound again in the on-demand audio section at WGR550.com and on the uh, radio.com at, in the uh, Fast Track section of uh, our on-demand audio, but that was always fun. That was, uh, that's always neat getting to to run out there on pit road right after the race ends and you get in those, you know, it's kind of like a locker room media scrum uh, after a, you know, like a Sabres or a Bills game or a Bandits game, but uh, just, you know, different when these guys are getting out of their race cars and they're, they've been sitting in a 140 degree race car for, you know, two hours, but Still, uh, an interesting perspective to get that post race uh, for to be there. You see it on TV, but to just be there firsthand and experience it. And uh, it was, yeah, it was it was steamy at the Glen. It was a, a hot afternoon, but I'll tell you what the, the that race, the, especially the last two years, they run that race off so quickly, just in a couple hours. It probably helps that we didn't have one of those massive multi-car wrecks that we require a red flag, which they've had in past years at Watkins Glen, uh, nothing like that. And the race, again, gets done in about two, two and a half hours. And, you know, the race started at close to three o'clock and I was in my car at seven and, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't have to write as much as, you know, some, some reporters that were there. I didn't have as much post-race work as some of the other media people, but I was uh, getting on the road back to Buffalo just after 7 o'clock there on Sunday. So uh, d- despite the late start, because when they went to that 3 o'clock start a couple of years ago, I'm like, gee, you know, a, a rain delay, a big red flag, and they're in danger of maybe, you know, running out of daylight. But uh, th- that race runs off rather quickly when there are no long, drawn-out caution periods uh, or red flag periods, because, again, there have been those at the past at Watkins Glen. Uh, I should mention, this is our third to last show of the season. We've only got two more shows after today. Uh, we will. We usually do a Labor Day show as kind of our big season finale. And, you know, the last two years we've done that at Watkins Glen for the IndyCar race, but no IndyCar race this year at the Glen. And I'm going to be uh, out of town that weekend for a wedding anyway. So uh, our last show will be two weeks from today. Uh, August 26th, that'll uh, that'll be our, our last show of the year. So just a couple more because, you know, after Labor Day, the Sunday after that's the start of Bill season, and we lose our time slot. So uh, hopefully you can join us for our final two shows of the year these last two weeks here on WGR Sports Radio 550. We're open to talk to NHRA top field driver Scott Palmer here very soon, but quickly we'll take a look at the starting grid for today's cup race at Michigan, the Consumer Energies Consumers Energy 400. I had my S in the wrong spot there at Michigan, and it is an all Joe Gibbs front row, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch on the front row for today's race, just like uh, last week at Watkins Glen. Uh, Kevin Harvick will roll off third. Eric Jones, the Michigan native, he'll start fourth. Then you've got the RCR cars of Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman. Good run for them in, in qualifying. Martin Truex and Ryan Blaney in row four. Joey Logano and Alex Bowman round out your top 10 starters. Eric Almarola and Kurt Busch in row six. For the two Stuart Haas cars and news this weekend concerning Kurt Busch, of course, if you haven't heard this one yet, uh, rampant reports and speculation that Kurt Busch will be leaving Stuart Haas Racing at the end of this year. And he is going to take his talents, reportedly, to Chip Ganassi Racing to take over the one car from Jamie McMurray. And on top of that, he's going to bring his Monster Energy sponsorship along with him for the ride, which, uh, you know, it's a golden ticket to get a ride in NASCAR these days if you bring in sponsorship money with you. But that is huge. Of course, last year at this time, we thought there was a chance Kurt Busch wasn't going to be 
in the 41 car this year as uh, his contract was coming to an end and reportedly that that they were going to let that contract expire. They did, of course, renegotiate and sign Kurt to bring him back for this year. But Kurt in a similar spot that he was about a year ago when when the news kind of broke last year about his contract with Stuart Haas uh, not being renewed at the time. They were going to let it expire. Um, same thing. Uh, again, lots of reputable sources reporting this, but uh, Kyle, or excuse me, Kurt, uh, saying that uh, there's there's no truth to those reports as of now. Obviously, he has to wait until whatever deal is fully signed and he gets the uh, okay to publicly announce it. But uh, that is probably the it's the first wave of this year's silly season, uh, which uh, seems like it's gotten off to a later start. Usually we, we've heard a couple of good ones by now, but of course uh, many of the, the major drivers are kind of locked in for next year. But you will see some of those mid-tier drivers you know, potentially moving around, especially now you've got Kurt Busch potentially going to Ganassi, so that puts Jamie McMurray without a ride for next year. That opens up what to do with the 41 team with Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, that that could go really one of two ways. Either they find someone to fill the ride and who will probably have to bring some kind of sponsorship money with them. The other option, of course, will be Cole Custer, who is a development driver for Stuart Haas. He's in the Xfinity Series. Uh, his dad, of course, works for Stuart Haas Racing, so hence the uh, his move up their chain. And he could potentially take that ride with maybe out ha- without having to bring sponsorship money to the table. And again, the third option is potentially they they close that fourth team down down at Stewart Haas Racing because it does has not had much sponsorship outside of the you know Monster Energy with Kurt Busch last couple of years. You continue to see you know Haas Automation on that race car uh, week in and week out. So that means you know that's just that money is just coming out of Gene Haas's pocket to sponsor the forty one car for most races. Uh, Kurt has had some deals, but it. Again, they've, I think they've had plenty of holes in their schedule marketing-wise on the hood of that race car. So that is an option, too, if they don't want to spend the money and maybe concentrate on just the three cars with Harvick and Boyer and Almarola. That could be a, a possibility, and it wouldn't surprise me if that is an option. But again, I think with Cole Custer waiting in the wings, uh, I, I think that the, the team being shut down will be the least likely of the three options that I just kind of laid out for you. There's still a possibility that someone that's a free agent for next year, like maybe a Jamie McMurray, you know, um, you know, someone like uh, uh, Trevor Bain might be a free agent next year, depending on how things play out at Rush Fenway Racing. And we know Trevor has some sponsorship money attached to him with Advocare and everything. You know, there are some guys that could take that ride. But I really think so. I think the folding of the 41 team, that'll be the least likely of the three options, but definitely out there. And I mentioned that because this week, uh, kind of unprompted, but they made the statement anyway, Furniture Row Racing kind of came out and said the 78 team will be back for 2019. Uh, not that anybody was really reporting that that team was going to go away. That team does face a big hole in its sponsorship inventory because Five Hour Energy, of course, is not coming back next year, and that was one of the uh, major sponsors for Martin Truex for this season. Uh, of course, that Five Hour was on Eric Jones's car last year when Furniture Row had the two-car operation, and then when Eric went to Joe Gibbs to take over the 20 car, they went back to one car, and Five Hour kind of folded into the mix with the 78 with with Bass Pro and with, with some of their other marketing partners. Um, so, you know, Furniture Row makes this statement. It's like, yeah, we'll be back next year. And, again, nobody really was saying they weren't going to be back, but it was just kind of funny how that, that came out this week. But, uh, obviously, 
they do have some holes to fill. Now, luckily, again, just like Gene Haas, Barney Visser at Furniture Row Racing, another one of those owners that isn't afraid to uh, just put his name on the car for some races. And, you know, it says Furniture Row uh, on the hood of the car. That's just Barney Visser paying out of pocket to to, to have his to run the 70 team pretty much unsponsored, but it still looks better than having no logo on the hood of the car. But they have, you know, some other partners, I think uh, Kelly Blue Book, uh, of course, Bass Pro, uh, just some of the other people still working Martin Truex, but they certainly face a hole in their marketing inventory for next year uh, as well, too, without Five Hotter Energy. But uh, we did get confirmation this week that despite the a lack of speculation on the front that the 78 team will be back next year for uh, Furniture Row Racing, and uh, Drew again, Truex starting seventh today. But uh, some other notable names in the field as we uh, kind of went off on that tangent there with Kurt Busch. Uh, Clint Boyer will start 16th today. Kyle Larson, who always runs really well at Michigan, he starts 17th. He just uh, he's been flying back and forth this week between Mich- Michigan and Knoxville, Iowa for the Knoxville Nationals, the richest sprint car race in the world. And uh, he finished uh, third in the A main last night there in Knoxville behind. Uh, Brad Sweet, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, and Donnie Schatz. And one of the closest finishes in the history of the Knoxville Nationals, Brad Sweet, who, of course, talked about, you know, they've been trying some stuff these last few weeks on the World of Outlaws Trail, getting ready for Knoxville. Uh, He narrowly beat uh, 10-time winner Donnie Schatz to take home the $150,000 payday and that is big money when it comes to short track racing, $150,000 payday. Uh, he got the win last night. So Kyle finished third in that race, but he's back in Michigan today, rolling off 17th. Brad Kozlowski, another Michigan native, he starts 18th. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, William Byron are in row 10. Chase Elliott starts 21st, as we mentioned before. And uh, that'll kind of do it. Uh, Daniel Suarez uh, did not post a time in, in qualifying. He will start 40th today at the tail of the field. So that's kind of it for notable names in the 40-car starting lineup for today's uh, Consumers Energy 400. Apologize that Scott Palmer kind of no-showed us here this morning, but uh, I uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to the bottom of that, and uh, hopefully he'll make it up to us down the road. Uh, one other big uh, kind of NASCAR news this week, not unexpected though, but we did get the official uh, the official unveiling of the Ford Mustang that uh, will run in the Cup Series in 2019. As uh, Ford had kind of previously announced that they are going away from the, that they are going away from the Ford Fusion and the Mustang, much in the same way that the of course Chevrolet went to Camaro this year, and you've got Toyota with the Camry, and they're reportedly bringing the Toyota Supra, I think, to the Xfinity Series in the near future. But another muscle car now going to the Cup Series uh, with the Mustang in 2019, and again, that's kind of part of the. Uh, and I think we talked about this when the announcement was made that Mustang was going to the Cup Series, that Ford is kind of getting away from the uh, passenger sedan business and really concentrating on trucks and SUVs and crossovers and cars like the Mustang, and they're getting away from just uh, sedans like the uh, the Ford Fusion and the uh, the wonderful Ford Taurus that uh, I've driven so many of in my lifetime, uh, both sedan and station wagon, uh, that they, they'll be getting away from selling cars like that and concentrating on you know, F-150s and Ford Escapes and Ford Mustangs from here on out, uh, that part of that reported um, marketing structure for Ford is part of the reason why that Mustang is going to the Cup Series. And it's got a nice look, uh, you know, kind of what you expected. Obviously, the body styles in the Cup Series don't too realistically recreate their street counterparts but uh still looks good with the uh the decals on it for the ford mustang livery and everything 
and uh, they had a big announcement in Dearborn, Michigan this week, of course, be, uh, the with the co- perfect timing with NASCAR in Michigan this week, and of course the Ford headquarters there in Michigan, it, it timed out wonderfully, and they rolled it out. Tony Stewart drove the one onto the through the through the screen and onto the the stage to the uh, confetti shower, and they had all, of course all the Ford drivers and team owners there in support of that announcement. So that be looking forward to that next year. We'll see how that affects the Fords if they face the same challenges next year that the Chevy teams have kind of been combating this year with the adjustment to the Camaro. But it now starts to seem, especially with Chase Elliott's win, that the Chevy teams are now you know, starting to turn a corner. And we kind of talked about that, too, with uh, Alex Bowman uh we're not Alex Bowman. Uh, who did we talk to about? Oh, no, that was uh, that was Eric Jones last week. That was talking about the Toyotas. Um, God, my memory's bad. No, Eric Almirola. We talked to Almirola about the Fords catching the Toyotas or vice versa. Now I can't remember. We did so many interviews last week. I can't even remember who I asked what question. I asked somebody about that. Well, we'll just stay there. Dave, Dave go to break because you're, you're crazy. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to break because I can't remember what question I asked which driver. But uh, it was fun talking to all those NASCAR drivers last week, though. When the opportunity comes up, don't get to talk to, what, a seven, eight NASCAR drivers in one week? I don't get to do that very often. So it was... Uh, between the uh, the pre-recorded stuff and the pre-race and the post-race stuff. Uh, uh, just lost track of who I asked what there last week leading up to Watkins Glen. All right. I'm sorry. We're, we'll, 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 we promise to do better. And we've got one more segment to do that. The local racing roundups coming up next here on Fast Track on WGR. Let's find out who visited Victory Lane this weekend. It's time for the local racing roundup on WGR's Fast Track. And we got to start all the way back on Monday night as Super Dirt Car Big Block Modifieds were in the Niagara region on Monday and Tuesday. They started Monday night at Merrittville, and Ryan Susi picked up the win for his first career Super Dirt Car Series Big Block win. Congrats, Ryan. He's been on the show a number of times. The doctor, Danny Johnson, finishing second. Chad Brockman, third. Matt Williamson, Eric Rudolph gave the top five a very local flavor. BEI Lightning Sportsman Series. Kyle Inman got the win over James Michael Friesen and Cody McPherson. Uh, four cylinders. Anthony Kelly got the win. Ryan Beagle got the win in the Hoosier stocks there on Monday night at the Merrittville Speedway. Then Tuesday night at the Big R and Stuart Friesen came home and led all 100 laps of the Summer Nationals to pick up the win over a hard-charging Matt Williamson. Brett Hearn, Jimmy Phelps, Eric Rudolph rounded out the top five. Eric uh, closing in on Matt Shepard's points lead with his two solid runs and Matt having some trouble in both races this week. Kevin Wills won the sportsman race. Pete Stefanski won the street stock race on Tuesday night there at the Big R. We'll fast forward now to Friday's action. Lancaster Dragway and Mike Swinarski got the win in top eight. Paul Kochi in top E.T. Joe Skoke picks up his third win of the week in Mod E.T. He won two divisions over the previous two classes on Saturday and Sunday at Lancaster, part of their Nostalgia Dregs weekend, Tuesday went to a final round but lost, but then made up for it Friday night, getting his third win of the week in mod. Vic Puglia in Bikes and Slads and Mason Fix got the win in Street ET. Ransomville on Friday night, it was Pete Bicknell getting the win with the W16 power plant over Eric Rudolph and Matt Farnham. James Henry got his second win of the season in the Sportsman. Jordan Moden's first ever Street Stock win. Ryan Plant the Four Bangers. David Fingerlow got the win in the Novice Sportsman Friday night at Ransomville. Saturday, uh, Friday night action from Freedom Motorsports Park. Boom Briggs getting the ULMS late model win over Greg Oaks and Max Blair. Bill DeMick in the Street Stocks. Victor Earl in the Pier Stocks. Jordan Nudie in the Micro Sprints uh, on Friday night there at Freedom. Last night action, the Holland Hillside, the track at Hillside. Uh, 
Jerry Grail Memorial for the TQ Midges. Dave Wallaber got the win there. Dave, uh, Sam Fallone won the Race of Champions late model feature over Eldon King and Dave Heitzhouse. Amy Catalano got the win in the Sportsman over Andy Jankowiak and her son Timmy Catalano. Kenny Haina got the win in the uh, Four Cylinders uh, last night at uh, the track at Hillside. Uh, Genesee Speedway last night. Matt Steffenhagen getting the Sportsman win. Zach Carley in the 360 Late Models. Josh Pangrazio in the Street Stocks. Brad Shepard in the Mini Stocks. And Bailey Logsdon in the Bandits. Big show coming up Thursday night at Genesee Speedway. They've got a big block, small block, modified shootout on Thursday night. That should be a fun one. Uh, wish I could make it out to see that show. Wyoming County Speedway on Saturday. Greg Moulton, the four cylinders, Dan Majak in the Super Stocks, and the Rocket Ricky Knapp getting the win in the SST Modifieds over uh, Toad Bradshaw. Merrittville Speedway last night. It's nice when not everybody rains out. In the uh, six cylinders, Adam Plaza got his eighth win of the year. Alex Riley in the Mini Stocks, Josh Slater in the Mod Lights, Rob Murray his eighth win in the Hoosier Stocks, Brad Rouse in the Sportsman, and Matt Williamson getting his ninth win of the year in the 358 Modifieds over Gary Lindbergh. And Chad Brockman, Lancaster Speedway last night. Uh, George Scora got the win in the Sportsman, his first win of the year there in the four cylinders. The uh, the Midwest Compacts, Brian Sprague out of Pennsylvania picked up the win in the Midwest Compact Series. First time they had the four cylinders on the big track. Charles Palmer in the regular four cylinder division, and Andy Crine got a very uh, emotional tribute win last night, his eighth of the year in the street stocks at Lancaster. It came in the Ken Heckler tribute, uh, fifty one lapper. More importantly, it came two days after the passing of John Juliker Sr., the nine-time late model champion. Andy uh, gets a lot of help from the Juliker family in the pits. Uh, John Sr. helped him out, and, and uh, uh, John's son Brad is the crew chief of that car. So the whole Juliker crew and family were out last night to pay tribute to John, and Andy got it with the win and the 0-9 in victory lane and uh, a very fitting tribute to uh, a, a Really great person in John Juliker Sr., so that was a well-deserved win. Uh, ra- uh, coming up this Saturday night at Lancaster, one of the biggest races of the year, the Tommy Drewer, Tony Jankowiak Memorial 110 for the Race of Champions Modifieds that- this Saturday night at Lancaster. Uh, coming up tonight, Humberstone's got a big show. They've got the BEI Sportsman Series, the Action Sprint Crate, crate Sprint Tour, uh, the Rush Late Models, Mini Stocks, and Pro 4 Trucks. So they got a jam-packed show uh, tonight at the Humberstone Speedway at 6.30 in Port Colbert, and that should be a fun one, too. So lots of great local racing going on as we get into the stretch run to our uh, regular season here in western New York and southern Ontario. That'll do it for us. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, two more shows after today. We'll be back next Sunday at 11, but now it's time to throw things to Sale and Nate at Bill's Camp. We'll talk to you next Sunday here on WGR. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.